Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Sit Down Community Podcast. This is your host, Stephanie Shaw. And as I say, every single week, so excited to have yet another guest who's just bringing wisdom and knowledge and integrity to the table as we talk about the things that honor God. Um, So I'm going to let Ashley introduce herself and we will get the ball rolling on today's conversation. Thanks, Steph. Yeah, my name is Ashley uh, Lucas. Me and Steph went to school together. Um, and, you know, I can tell my job title or, you know, my uh, what my degree is in, but I think the most important thing is just being a disciple of Christ and a person who claimed Christianity a majority of my life, but truly believe I've only been uh, reborn again in spirit and in truth for the last two years, um, called out of churchianity and, um now biblically based and I'm so humbled and thankful that God has given me eyes to see and ears to hear. So excited for this conversation. Yes, absolutely. And today we're really going to dive into how do we misinterpret scripture? How have we um, begun morphing more into the image of culture than the image of Christ? What does that look like to dive into scripture with integrity of wanting to um, just really secure and maintain what the Bible says, um, because it's our blueprint and it's our guide and it's so good. And it's our ultimate authority. So let's dive into, um, different ways that the church, um, has defined itself more as a building than a body. Um, we can look at religion as an institution. What do you think are some of the red flags you've noticed, um, just in the last couple of years? Um, I think that this idea of a building or a denomination being the body of Christ, uh, number one, and putting so much faith in that church and um, not really understanding that the true church of God is, is his people. It's not a congregation or a building, um, but just people who, like I said, worship him and follow him in spirit and in truth. Mm-hmm. And um also like just this, I think the church, so many churches have, and I, I speak more about like well-known churches and, you know, well-known preachers um, and bigger churches, bigger, you know, mega churches and stuff like that. They all have like a business model for the church. So to some degree, it's about, um, you know, money and prosperity. And also this idea of how many souls can we save? And mm-hmm. that's usually determined by someone saying a prayer and not really their whole um the whole aspects of their life and the way that they walk and talk and believe every single day but just whether or not they have said this prayer um so yeah I think those are some things yeah absolutely I mean you think of a lot of um mega churches will proclaim that they are a seeker church but what about the depth I was just talking to my mom about this actually I um went through pretty significant faith deconstruction, uh, when I left California to go out of state for a while. And I remember asking God, I said, Lord, I don't feel like I know the real you, the one that requires depth and time and decades of service to him. Um, and also just desire and hunger to learn more too. Um, And so I was telling her, I was like, it just feels like the God who was presented to me as a child was just whitewashed and 
really watered down in a lot of ways. It was a God who wasn't as holy as he is. It was a God who didn't have as much grace. It was a God who wasn't as good or just sufficient in all things. It was, well, maybe he could be that for you. And it felt very legalistic. And my God was just an authority figure and someone to boss me around. And I was like, this just can't be it. Like, God, I'm so blessed he did not quit on me because I was like, what is happening here? Because, you know, I'm having this connection to the Lord, but the church is making him very unattractive to, to go after and really pursue. And so I asked God, I was like, Lord, I need you to just completely deconstruct, not bulldoze and obliterate, but let's go brick by brick to really see where my faith formation became more damaging than it was beautiful of God wrote me into his story and how miraculous that is that in a world with so many Christians, he would see me individually and love me so much and take great ownership over me. So even looking at that from a church standpoint of there's a lot of churches that are incredible and do a really good job of living out integrity and discipleship. And then there are some churches who have publicly been, you know, um, shown to not have the, the same level of integrity or even just the same intent uh, and the same intention of wanting to seek people and find them. But what about that depth? People are not as shallow as some of these, these churches are just making Jesus and the Bible and theology and doctrine just shallow enough to like, okay, well you can paddle jump. Well, there's a whole vast ocean of things we can explore. So how do you think, people in different spaces and areas of spiritual formation, how can they be encouraged, but also challenged um, to really seek out a church with the intention to make disciples, to go out and be the church, to invite revival into culture? What does that look like? I think when like seeking out a, a church, a, a building specifically, a body of Christ, um, I think you have to know, who Christ is to know if they bear those fruits. So before you have that knowledge on yourself, you'll never know if that preacher or that church, that congregation um, is solid or is, you know, is built on a rock. Um, So I think it all starts with scripture. It starts with the word of God. You know, the word says that we need no man to teach us. That's why he gave us the Holy spirit. And, um, and obviously like, men of God and uh, teachers, they're so helpful when they're, you know, being truthful, when they're biblically based. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't have that, it's still okay. Like all you need is scripture to know who God is. And listening to your story, how you came from a very legalistic um, view and your question was, Lord, I don't think I know you. It's funny because mine was the exact opposite. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, I grew up like my dad telling me, don't do this and don't do that. So I had that and I, and I did struggle with, um, you know, following laws, though I didn't know, get no God. But I think my um, faith, when it became my own, was more like, you know, all you have to do is believe Jesus existed, pretty much. You know, it's just a belief. Um, so coming from two different sides of the spectrum and both asking the question, 
like, Lord, I don't think I know you, you know, like, who are you? Like, reveal yourself to me. And that has become one of my favorite uh, scriptures when it says, when you seek me with your heart, with your whole heart, you know, then you shall find me. Mm -hmm. And that was for the Israelites, but that's still a promise um, to all of God's people. So I think when finding a church, before you can find a church, you have to find God. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to find who he is in spirit and in truth. You have to worship him in spirit and in truth. And you have to learn the attributes of God so that you, when you go into a church building, when you're testing out churches, um, you know whether or not they bear the fruits of God. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's the biggest thing. And I think um, we relied so much on people relaying the word of God, but we know that there are many false prophets. So I think mm -hmm. the biggest thing um, is scripture is, is God's holy word that does not change, that is without error. And that will, um, you know, that will help us and that will guide us in finding a true, a true church. That's so good. I'd never thought about it that way of, you know, I think for me it was, well, a church will help me know God more or Jesus and, and the Holy spirit. And, and so it's, it's neat to see the the reverse of knowing Jesus so that you can walk into a church. Cause I, I just see my own personal life from the past, but also other friends and, and even just acquaintances of really um, having a hard time, even engaging in the church. Maybe they grew up in it and walked away. Maybe they never were attracted to the church as a whole because they attributed the church as being God. Mm -hmm. And instead of our flawed humanity still being so pervasive within the church, um, what do you feel like in terms of a church as a building instead of the actual body and then just the institution? What's a scriptural um, that really kind of speaks to that and can often be misinterpreted. I know we talked about Romans 10. Um, how about we pull that up and, and read it? Yeah. In terms of like just the church too, one that just popped in my mind of, um, mistaking the church for a building or a congregation and not the people of God is just a simple scripture where two, uh, where two or three are gathered in my name there, I will also be. Uh, so church is just, like you said, like the body of Christ, the true saints of Christ and not, um, you know, not an institution or a denomination or any of that, but yeah. right now. If those of you listening love to follow along, we're going to be in Romans chapter 10 and Ashley will give us scripture, the specific verses. Um, yeah, so I'm going to, um, I mean, you could even read the whole thing if you felt like it. I'll back up to, um, verse eight, um, 10, eight, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved for the heart for with the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Um, and then even 11, it says for the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And um, yeah, when we're talk, talking about that verse, I think that that's pretty much what the church has narrowed down the gospel to mm -hmm. is um, confession and faith that 
you know, that those things are true, that um, the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Um, and I think most people that are part of a body of Christ believe that that is true, that he, you know, that Jesus is God and that he died for our sins. Um, and that is a, you know, that is the gospel, but it's not the full gospel. When Jesus came, he preached repentance and he, you know, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I don't think, I think that message of repentance and what repentance really mean has been lost from the church. I think the church is sometimes called, um, scared to call out sin or, you know, to teach repentance because it makes people uncomfortable to know that we are, you know, in a state of depravity, that we are sinful. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, sometimes it messes with the church's pockets when you are calling people out and making them uncomfortable. Um, So I think, yeah, I think that the the church that, you know, these, the big churches, like I said, um, this is just a generalization. I know that there are a lot of like small churches and there are a lot of like true churches, um, but just, you know, the ones that are more prominent that we hear more about, um, just narrowing scripture down to this verse and of believing and confessing. And what, and, and not that that verse is wrong. We know that scripture is correct, but what does it really mean to believe? Mm-hmm. Um, you, it's not just believing that he just rose from the dead, but to believe in him, you know, Jesus said, um, they worshiping with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. And um, if you love me, keep my commandments. So I think those are all important. And when, how we define um, believing in our heart, what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Even it goes on to say too, there, since there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think of that richly blesses that's so multidimensional. And then for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's not just calling on his name. It's when we pray, I don't care how much you don't like praying when you're praying, you're praying about specifics and like, Lord, take me out of this situation situations change. Our lives are constantly evolving. That means the way we approach God and really call on him changes too. So how do you feel like, um, the church has, um, allowed itself to be lukewarm in a lot of ways of, well, if I confess, um, with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, that's enough but it's not. I think it's like, we want a free pass into eternity without understanding that we can't have our foot in the door of flesh and spirit. We have to pick what's more important to us. We have to, you know, pick up our cross daily, which means inviting the spirit to really take us out and put more of himself in. Um, so how do you see lukewarm Christianity just being super pervasive in culture? and church culture right now? Um, I think it goes back to just what makes you comfortable and what is being taught. Like, I don't think um, mega preachers have, always have the best intentions. Um, Do they care to appease? I think to some extent they care to appease our flesh and not to make people uncomfortable because to the world that doesn't sound like love, which is it, which is our duty to do. Um, but I think um, you were saying like, you said something about talking about lukewarm and this verse from, I'm in first Kings right now from Elijah, the prophet, he, when he, you know, he said, 
put your, you know, call your God and tell him to, to light a fire on these animals. And he said, how long will you falter between two? If uh, the Lord, your God is God, then serve him. And if Baal serve him. And I think, like you said, we just want our cake and want to eat it too. We, we, we know he existed, but the, the true blessings and the uh, salvation, all that it's, it's in the hard stuff. It's not just in the believing he exists. And I think it goes back to that word, um, believe and it, and we keep talking to him as we're reading scripture and as we're referring to him as lord and what that word means is something that i've been thinking about a lot we accept jesus as our savior but not as our lord and um you know like david was called lord the, the kings were called lord so what does that word really mean it's not necessarily a term of of deity in every sense um it, someone who rules over you and um so to believe that he is lord is not just to you know, believe that he is capable of saving us for our sin, but to submit our entire lives to him, like you said, bearing our cross. And um, like I said, like even in the hard things, even the things that you don't understand, God wants our obedience, you know, and understanding and knowledge and all that stuff will increase as we just follow in obedience um, to him. And I think that's where I think, you know, when I was lukewarm, it came from not understanding and not having enough obedience. And um, just, I think a, a huge lie that Satan tells us is that, you know, the everyday person is not equipped to understand scripture. Mm -hmm. And um, that was something that I definitely, you know, like I, I wouldn't call it that, I wouldn't have called it that back then, but looking back, um, I would, I think that I, you know, um, had a form of idolatry for preachers and um, that they, you know, that they were more capable than me, that I had to rely on them, that I had, um, you know, to agree with them. And, and just like this, this aspect of not um, trusting the Holy Spirit and God to give me revelation that I needed man to do so. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's where lukewarm and like I said, if you're in a church that does not have biblical sound preaching or and we know that, you know, they are going to say the Bible tells us that there are false prophets who will say stuff that, you know, people want to hear that is soothing to the ear. So if we don't have the discernment, I think that's where lukewarm um, mm -hmm. where we allow our church to become lukewarm and we don't see it as that. I don't think people who are lukewarm see themselves being lukewarm. So it's hard to come out of that um without scripture yeah even going back to what you were saying about elijah it's funny you're you're reading it because i'm in an elijah study and for those of you who haven't heard the story they're just trying to get this fire to start and they're praying to all their gods and calling out and and then elijah prepares so intentionally a sacrifice for god to really show up and show these people who he is and he does and the people you know bow down and like this is god how do you see within lukewarm Christianity or just faith as a whole, how do you see logic and the need for reason to be a detriment to growing faith, authentic faith that requires not always having a a human representation? Like I think of a lot of people who are even more logically driven within their mind, want to make sense of God. Well, God doesn't make sense to me well, where's your faith? What's your definition of faith? What does that even look like to you? How can people who are more logic driven dive into faith? I think 
yeah i mean they're they're definitely on two opposite sides of the spectrum um so it's not something that you can conjure up or you know i think in prayer i think true you know true prayer um i want to watch something else and we have an intermission we have little brother in the room so <laughs> sorry uh, no you're fine this is real life that's what we're about y'all is community yeah. <laughs> You want uh, another show? We're putting on another show. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, back to it. Um, yeah, I think prayer is the, like, like when you said, like, Lord, I don't know who you are. And I had so many, during that time, I was, you know, at a, it was in the middle of my testimony. It was at a low point in my life. And I had so many, diff so many different people around me with different, theologies and different denominations and at first like it was I don't know like God put his fear into me first and it was just like I do not want to go to hell like I don't think I know God and I don't want to go to hell so I was reading the Bible like trying literally like just trying not to go to hell and then um when people started throwing their theologies at me and I needed discernment it like I was literally just you know stripped of everything and I was like God, I don't care. Like, if th I, this is not about heaven or hell anymore. Like, I want to know you. You know, I want to know who you are. I want to know yeah. you. Um, I want to know your attributes. I want to know um, what pleases you. I want to know what displeases you. And like, taking any ulterior motives, any uh, stripping myself of ulterior motives of, you know, prosperity, of uh, heaven and hell, and just a true desire to know God. Um, and that came from the fear of God and God. Um, definitely put that in me that was not something I conjured up on my own or you know was taught that was all God but um I think prayer I think prayer is the the answer to people who want to know like when you seek God with your entire heart um and I don't I don't think anyone you know that that is evidence of God's grace because who has really seeked God with their entire heart you know um probably very few people and still he reveals himself when he sees even just the glimpse of that um so I think prayer and, and really just the desire to know I think God will um appeal to the most logical and the, the most reason-driven people through um sincerity and prayer and desire I think you know there's no special equation there's no church there's no pastor it's literally just your own heart and um you know the desire god god is uh very gracious and very loving and we like to see him like you said in the beginning in a legalistic and in a religious way but all he you know all he wants is a relationship with us so um you know no matter what end of the spectrum you come from what your um status quo is like if that desire is in your heart god will reveal himself so yeah. Even if it's not in your heart, but you want it to be there, praying that God, you know, that he changes your heart. Like God is so capable and just believing in the things that you pray for, believing that God is um, capable and willing and powerful enough to change, change anybody's heart. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Um, in terms of, you know, the pandemic just really <laughs> shifted how the church had access to people. Um, in some ways, one could argue that the accessibility through YouTube and different platforms, streaming platforms made church more accessible to people. But do you see any ways in which it being virtual and still offered as a virtual 
service, do you see how that could be potentially harmful in growing the body of Christ within a building and collective? Cause the way I saw it for a while, I was like, I don't need to be in a church. Like it's just me and God. And then I really learned why God gave me community and how to build up community within my own community and the necessity for it um, to bring before what God is saying to other people so that they can test it to be able to really grow as the body, not because of the four walls of the building they meet in. Um, I just, it, and this is not a complete thought. I'm still processing through it, but what does it look like now that we're kind of, I don't, I wouldn't even call us post pandemic. I feel like we're still very much in it, but as we navigate interacting more, how can you see a virtual platform as being, and maybe you have a different perspective, maybe it's a good thing, but how can you see it as good or potentially damaging to encouraging people to show up in person and do live. Cause I think of it, even people love fighting on social media. What about church? Like, you know, kind of a different, uh, different standpoint, but um, I think we've made it too easy to hide behind a screen instead of really invest in that. So that was a very long question explanation, but what do you think in terms of the current kind of status of, of how we do church and life together. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you in large answered a huge part of it um, in discussing it, talking about not having the, the body and the accountability that comes with being in a physical church. Um, and I want cars. another. Okay. Just one second. Sorry. You're fine. I'll go into it a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think so for those of you listening and it's so funny, like this is a total sidebar, but even in praying about this podcast, it's like, there are people all over this nation who are guest speakers on this podcast and how just sitting in the realness of having the ability to be disruptable, to have, you know, our little siblings come in and need thing, need things from us. I think it just speaks to one being disruptable, being able to say, okay, I had an agenda on, or maybe an idea of how things would go and being able to kind of course correct and pivot. I think we could just still sidebar of like, bring it in, in the same way of faith of like, God wants us to be disruptable, that we aren't in control, that he is still good, even if the plans change or things don't go how we expected and really leaning into faith versus the logic of having habitual routines and, and plans laid out. So that's my sidebar. Ashley's back. Take it away. (laughs) To pivot, like, Round of applause to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, just talking about not having the accountability when we're in a physical church. Um, and not to say that you need a, like you said, like four walls to be held accountable. If you have fellowship, if you have discipleship, you are part of a church. If you have friends that you read the Bible with, you are part of a church. Um, you have people to keep you accountable. So I think you know, like anything virtual, anything dealing with technology, there's pros and there are cons, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. more accessible to people, people who were going through hardship when the pandemic hit, they have access, they had, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe stuff was circulating online more. And 
um, they have access to that. And then the con to that people having more access is that these well-known preachers and these prosperity preachers, their stuff is going to get more views and be more prominent on YouTube. They're gonna, mm -hmm. you know, be on the, um, the front of the screen and whereas small local churches you know you have to seek them out you have to type their name and you have to mm. know what you're looking for so i think those are pros and cons of um being on a virtual um you know when being just doing church virtually i think it all comes down to like the heart of the person watching um yeah. and yeah i mean it's it's the same you know there's it's the same thing as if in, in person, like if you're just seeking God for something he can offer you, mm. you know, it's, it's not going to stick as if you're seeking God just to, you know, just to know him. So. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. That's do a good do, phrase. Do you do church uh, online or are you back in person? Or? I am back in person. I am loving life. <laughs> like I, for me, it was actually more challenging. And even I think of it from like a therapeutic social work background of like, it was really hard for me as a social worker to do virtual therapy because that was my transition, even with my therapist at the time, a year and a half ago, of we went virtual and then we were back in person and then it was back to virtual. And I think it it is hard to pivot in that way of, okay, God, I really was relying on being in person. Now I have to still be able to feel connected to the body, even if I'm not in person. So it was definitely a learning curve for me. Um, now that I'm in person full-time here in California, it's just so nice to, I think for me, it's hard when I can't see the body and I just see the preacher and the pastor of, I love to observe people within the crowd of like, are they smiling? Are they crying? Do they look mad? Like, how are they receiving the word? And I think that's because I like observing people's responses, but also I think, um, back to July, we had an incredible event, um, just of prayer and revival for our city and, and there was one encounter specifically where it would not have been impactful as impactful if I was watching it um, virtually. We were, it was basically an altar call, but also just an opportunity to come to the front of the stage and get a fresh word and a touch um, a touch of impartation through the, the pastor who was speaking. And it was probably my first example of true hunger of people wanting to be touched, not by a pastor, but by God and that they were believing that their motion forward would in fact be a step of faith of Lord. I need you. I desire you. I want to be closer to you. And it was just, I mean, hundreds of people and we're not a huge church, but we're, we're decent sized, several hundred people, just people just coming so swiftly out of their chairs into the aisleways, into the stage. And I just was so shocked because I've never seen hungry Christians before like that of people who wanted just such close proximity with the father heart of God wanting to be the one who provides with such sufficiency and goodness and faithfulness of he is a God of promise, but more than that, he's a God who performs his promises. Um, and so I think for me being back in person since 
you know, this past March has been so good, even just for this season of God really calling me out of hiding from churches or being angry with churches and into Lord, you're, you have me here. What does that look like? So I think for me, it's been so great, but, uh, you know, I know for everyone, it's kind of different. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, good segue into even, you know, mentioning when you were talking about churches getting more of the mega churches or, um, well-known kind of celebrity pastors, I feel like the accurate word for it of getting kind of, you know, their video is the one that pops up on the home screen of YouTube. Um, it's the one that is flashy enough to get attention. Um, but what about those smaller churches and how do we navigate even from a standpoint of wealth and having access to resources and marketing experts that know how to get content to the front of the line? How do we navigate that? So that's kind of, that's the beginning, but how do we also dive into the hot topic of wealth and what it looks like to be wealthy in a holy way and not in a way where money becomes our idol or having, you know, the newest sneaker that just launched or things like that, like not being so deeply tied to wealth where it is our idol and priority before the Lord. What does that look like? Yeah. I mean, that's a little, just a little broad, you know, <laughs> no, 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 I was gonna say, it's a little hard for me to speak on cause I'm nowhere near it, but <laughs> uh, that is wealth is not something that I struggle with. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think that There's definitely, you know, there, it, it's not that you, like, like we said earlier, it's not that you cannot be wealthy. It's, it's that, you know, Jesus said it is harder for a rich man to go to heaven, not that it is impossible. So it's not that you can't be rich. Um, but if you, you know, we also see the rich, there's so many, so many parables and stories about, you know, rich man and wealth mm-hmm. and stuff. Um, would you be willing to give it all up, you know? if it got you closer to God, would you be willing to give it all up? And um, I think too, looking like, was this person called to be a pastor? A pastor is not something, you know, a teacher, disciple, I mean, sorry, teachers are going to be judged harshly for the things that they have taught people. Um, So like, was that something that you were called to do? Or is that something, you know, you decided for yourself to do in order to, um, gain monetary um yeah in order to gain monetarily so i think um how do how do we you're saying how do we navigate it as a how do we navigate wealth where wealth is not our first priority we're honoring god being in communion with god um is our priority and we'll dive into some scripture too but i mean i think so often it's, it's wonderful to be able to have the resources to buy nice things and have nice things. However, those things are temporary. I think I've really had to shift my mindset of what am I doing now that has eternal wealth that are things that I am taking into heaven and can't wait. I mean, you know, God already knows the things Jesus knows the things, 
but I firmly believe we get to just praise God in heaven and say, this is what was accomplished because of you, God, in my life. This is what I just left behind. And just really being able to navigate things of eternity are not like, at least from my viewpoint, they're not things that are linked to a dollar. Um, and I think it's it's beautiful when churches are able to use money and generosity and wealth to bless other people, like different ministries or projects within a community. I think that use of wealth is beautiful. But when we look at even people who hoard things, why do you hoard if none of that is going to go with you in heaven? Like then you're just leaving it to like your kids who just want to murder you, which you're already gone. And you have this whole garage full of things just stacked. I think of my own parents of this, bless them. They're wonderful, but their garage Uh, it makes me want to like light the house on fire just a little bit. I'm like, why do you need five wreaths for all the different (laughs) seasons? Like what is happening here? Um, But it's funny because we all collect things differently and we all kind of have almost that, the, the distraction of, of just having so much excess. Um, So how do we look at it in that way of how do we navigate defining wealth? um, Wanting to, I think a lot of people, and at least one person I'm thinking of in particular on social media, it's like, oh, I'm going to buy all the designer things. I like nice things too. Trust me. I have, you know, what would be like a low level designer bag, but it's like when you buy that bag, you're so excited about it. And then a few days later, it, it, it lacks luster and it's not the same. It doesn't feel like this possession because you realize this bag only gave me joy for a few days. Like, why did I even buy it? So how do we navigate really understanding it's not a sin to buy nice things, but what is sinful is an idolatry to money, a love of wealth and money over love of God, love of people. Um, and so how do we really work more on the eternal side of wealth versus the temporal? I feel like I just brought in that question even more, but we're just going to go for it. <laughs> no worries. I'm thinking of a, a specific verse. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up so yeah. I can quote it correctly. Um, even just as you find that, you know, there's verses Proverbs 28, 20 says a faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. When I look at that, I was telling Ashley before we even started this podcast episode is uh, I turn into a plant lady uh, after rejecting that wholeheartedly. I was like, I will not be the pandemic plant lady. Here we are 10 plants later. Um, But I've really been diving into what does it look to have a strong root system in the spiritual sense of knowing the word of God makes those roots want to go down even deeper. It um, purifies the soil and takes all those toxic things of the world out of it. And so what does it look like to prepare and um, just till the soil to understand how soil needs to be prepared, how, um, you know, seeds are going to react to different soil and grow into whatever you're trying to produce and, and looking at it from a spiritual sense of, you know, our harvests are the fruits of the spirit that we're wanting to grow, but those are also the things we're planting of God. I'm planting love today. 
I'm planting faithfulness. I'm planting joy and self-control because I want it to become these beautiful trees or, you know, a whole harvest of those good things. How do we, you know, look at it more in that sense of when I think of legacy, I think it's beautiful to be able to have money to pass down through the generations, to be able to fuel passions that bring things back to the gospel and just how good our father is. Um, but I also really want to make sure that I represent God and Jesus in such an authentic way where people are like, I want that for me. I want to know who this God is. I want to know this Jesus she speaks about. Um, and so it's like, for me, that's the wealth I want to leave my kids, my grandkids, my great grandkids, generation to generation. I want to be a representation that the word of God is generational, that there are so many awe-inspiring things that God has done. We have it all in the word. How do I pass down that wealth? That for me is my focus. Of course, having money to pass down is a beautiful thing too. And I don't want to discredit anyone who appreciates wealth for those good things. Um, but, you know, we're also looking at the flip side of when it's like, well, I want to pass down all this money. Well, think about when a family member dies. Oftentimes the biggest argument is, well, how much of their money do I get? Mm -hmm. And not celebrating their life, but celebrating their possessions that you get to inherit. Yeah. It's like, I want people to inherit my love. I want people to inherit my patience that is still growing. Um, I want people to inherit the gifts of the spirit that I'm trying to cultivate now, even in my late twenties that I was resistant to, to really harvesting and, and creating. And, um, so I think in that, that sense, it's like, how do we define wealth? How do we, um, make sure it stays biblical and not cultural? Um, so I think that verse in Proverbs is really good. And then a second one in Deuteronomy eight eighteen says, but remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Um, which is a good point to what you and I have previously talked about too. Like, and I'm, I'm guessing this is the scripture you're pulling up, but talking about like, Lord, if, if monetary wealth is too big for me. Like if I need to stay exactly where I'm at or live within financial lack, uh, for lack of a better way to describe it of, then that's where I want to be. Because if my wealth takes away from my focus on you, I don't want it. Um, so I'm sure, did you pull it up? Yeah. I was actually pulling up a verse in, um, first Timothy, but that verse in Proverbs two, where it says, um, Lord, don't give me riches and don't give me poverty. Um, uh, it says, yeah, it says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. And mm -hmm. I think that prayer was specific to that person's heart. Like, like you were saying, like if, um, if I'm not like asking God, like genuinely in sincerity, in sincerity, like if I am not, you know, my heart better, God knows our hearts better than we do. So if I cannot have wealth, without making an idol out of it, then don't give me riches, God. And, uh, yeah. you know, if you give me, if you know my heart and you know that when I'm in lack, I lack trust for you, then don't give me poverty. And I think, and that's how I've kind of heard that verse explained. Like, um, you know, if you give me riches, I might forget that I need you. Mm -hmm. 
I might say, you know, who is the Lord? And if you give me poverty, I might steal and make you look weak. Um, so I think that idea of um, contentment in that other scripture of uh, with food and clothing, we shall be content. So, you know, just looking at our money as like in and of itself, it's not bad. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. Um, not money itself. We know that um, Abraham, our forefather, was rich. Um, we know that Abraham um, begat um, Isaac, whose name was changed to Israel, and he was rich. He, you know, he had. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not in being rich. It's in if that deters our heart from God. And this um, verse in First Timothy seventeen, uh, First Timothy six, verse seventeen says, "Command those who are rich in present age." not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us um, richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And I think that idea of, um, you know, being rich in good works and being uh, ready to give and, um, I think a big part of that too is like how the church speaks about blessings. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if, if we measure our blessings by financial gain and we're, you know, we only profess that we are blessed when we get the job we want, or if we only profess that we are blessed when we get a pay raise or when we have nice things, or, you know, if we only profess blessings as monetary gains, how is, how does, non-believers look at look at the church you know like okay so then you have a non-believer who looks and says well i want to be a believer because clearly their god gives them nice things you know mm -hmm. but if we as a church are saying you know like professing our blessing as in the midst of chaos in the midst of tribulation and hardship and family issues and everything that is going on mm -hmm. i'm still blessed and we're able to worship and praise god in that space people outside of the church look at us and you know that's a blessing like you know peace they see peace as a blessing and then they may be going through the same things and that is why they want to get to know god so i think how we talk about our blessings and what we believe to be blessings as a church is um so important and mm -hmm. if we look at what god says is a blessing it's never riches god has never once said that you know uh blessed are the rich he said the opposite he said blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are the humble blessed are the meek um and i think uh that is because when we're in that low state like i said you know if you're given riches you um you may have a tendency to forget that you need God because money can buy you a lot of things, you know, it can buy you a lot of solutions and a lot of answers. But I think God knows that in, um, in heartbreak and in hardship that we need more of a reliance on him. So I think just how, you know, like I said, it's not that the money is a sin that, um, having nice things is a sin, but, um, you know, are you abounding in good works first? Are you giving to those in need first? Are you um, doing the things of God first and with your excess, um, you know, giving to those things that you desire, but that are not a need for the kingdom of God? Um, so it's, I think it's just about priority and about um, are you working harder for the kingdom of God and for your faith than you are for material things? Mm -hmm. And um, really just holding fast to, um, not having anything in your heart above God. Yeah, absolutely. Even as you were talking about um, 
blessed are those who are poor and needy and meek in spirit for they will inherit the kingdom of God. I think people are like, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be poor. It's coming from a a definition of how culture defines it. But even I was just thinking of when the scriptures say um, that it's in his power that our weakness will be made strong. It's not in our power. It's not in our abilities or capacity. And I think it's hard for people to be like, well, I don't want to give God my weakness to be made strong and whole. And I want to be able to do that myself. I want to be self-sufficient and all these things, but God gives us that gift of desire to be um, just fully aware of our lack and our weakness and that he gives a solution. Um, he doesn't give us a bunch of options. He's like, I am the solution A relationship with my son and to be transformed into his likeness. That's amazing. That to me is riches is being more and more like Jesus by the time, you know, my story on earth is over and I get to start being in eternity. I think, um, yeah, I think it's those definitions that are cultural versus spiritual. And it's really important to understand um, how those are really at odds with each other. Even what you were talking about with um, with people looking at the riches of, you know, mega church celebrity pastors of, oh, they have a Tesla and they have the newest Jordans or they have like a suit from whoever. I'm not even into designer. <laughs> But, you know, like, oh, I want that. So if if believing in Jesus gives me that, great. And then you have people who are like, well, that person's poor and they're paycheck to paycheck and they don't have the nice things that I want. So that must be Christianity is that you have to be poor to believe in Jesus, which is also a false narrative. Um, And so it's like, how do we navigate that and and really value the things of God? Um, so that's so good. Any other thoughts on wealth? Um, yeah, just like from a personal, just a personal, um, opinion or uh, testimony is that like, when I, you know, receive bonuses or when I, you know, get a lot of money, it does not compare to, you know, being in the midst of a trial and knowing that God is sovereign. It doesn't compare to the peace of, um, knowing him and that, and that, you know, during hardships, just, you know, being able to, I have never been um, a scriptural, like I said before, I was not scriptural Christian, like I believed in God, and I just would have faith that he would get me out of situations, but, you know, like being in the midst of a trial and being able to resort to the word of God, to just have the Holy Spirit bring remembrance um, scripture that gives me a sense of peace, you know, to know that God is sovereign and to know that he is, um, he who has begun a good work will finish like these simple things of scripture, um, that are not just, you know, words that sound good, but truth, like they are, they are, they are completely true and they are promises of God. Um, they just don't come, those things don't compare to wealth. You know, they are far beyond physical wealth and, um, I think we like, you know, in a culture, like we say things like that, like, you know, we know that peace of mind is bigger, but how often do we honestly believe it? How often do we apply it to our lives? Do we seek Mm -hmm. that, you know, the work culture and that, and it's just a culture that we live in. It's hard. It's hard to come out of it. Um, But we, you know, we work eight to 12 hours a day. We commute, we're spend so much of our life working. Um, So it's hard to separate um, those things or to make time for seeking out those things as much as we work. 
But yeah. is it, you know, while we work, while we work, are we thinking of things of God? While we do simple things, are we talking to God throughout the day? Yeah. And I think um, just the Holy Spirit, you know, I think the Holy Spirit, when you truly have the Holy Spirit, it's going to check you. You know what I mean? Like if you're in a store about to make a $600. Like, excuse me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you, I know you've seen that homeless man on your way here and you're about to, you know, buy a $600 purse or whatever it may be. Um, the Holy Spirit is going to check us when we feed it its daily bread, which is the word of God. So I think, um, yeah, just relying on God and his spirit to give us the discernment of when, um, like I said, you know, enjoying those nice things with our excess and not with, you know, the bare minimum, not with not prior, you know, prioritizing our money and, um, yeah, like abounding in good works first. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Um, as we kind of move into, oh, go for it. Yeah, Yeah, just this um, idea of cultural versus spiritual that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, This idea of, I heard a pastor say that this is the first generation who feels like they need to adapt to the culture in order to be effective. Mm -hmm. And every other generation has, you know, agreed and believed that we have to be different than our culture to make an impact. And I think that is so true and that it's so Mm -hmm. powerful and that we don't have to, we're not called to relate to the culture. We're not called to um, do the things that the culture does or have the things that, the, you know, we're called to be set apart. We're called to be holy. God yeah. brought us out of the world, you know, for a reason, not to not to relate to the world, but to bring other people out of the world. Um, so I think, you know, that cultural spiritual aspect is very important. And we know that, um, you know, he who loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. So if you love this world, if you're clinging to this world, um, you know, that is evidence that you have not, you know, not, not to say that you are not, um, sincerely trying, but, you know, we have so, so much further to go if our love is in this world, because God is not of this world at all. He's so different and he's so Mm -hmm. set apart. And that's how he calls his disciples, um, to be. Absolutely. I mean, you think about goodness, I think for some, for whatever misguided reason, I was like, well, I'm good. And, I am, you know, I don't need to talk about God to show people God, but then who knows, maybe that interpretation of other people saying me, oh, she's a good person. I don't want to just be a good person. That's not enough to be someone, um, of integrity for me is like, no, now I'm in a season where most of my conversations, even with random strangers are about God or what God is doing in me or how he is granting me access to these extraordinary visions for my life. And I remember my dad making a comment recently. He's like, Oh, I'm really surprised you started talking about your faith with you know, the person we had just ran into, he's like, you just didn't even hold it back. And I thought about in previous seasons where I would have thought, oh, would this make them uncomfortable if I brought up, you know, Jesus's name? I'm like, Mm -hmm. who cares if they're uncomfortable? I love God. I love Jesus. I love the Holy Spirit. I love my faith. I love my church. I love the things of God. And so to be good is not enough. Um, in the sense of just like you were saying, to be consecrated is set apart and um, to really navigate um, 
for ourselves as an individual, but also as the body of Christ collectively, how do we represent him well? And even I think of Jesus, Jesus was my favorite teacher of all time. And I say that because he was teacher. He was an advocate. People most often ask Jesus how to pray. Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus, teach us how to pray. And when we look at that, he taught us in parables. He taught us in so many things by asking us questions. Um, And so what does that look like to engage with as well as if we are of Christ, we have the mind of Christ. Should we not also be teachers? Should we not teach the things of the word? Should we not go out and, you know, share these different things that God wants um, to just really be put up for discussion. Um, so I think that from, from my own perspective and personal experience of really needing to figure out what it meant to be a disciple, to not be lukewarm and afraid to say the name of Jesus to people who might not know him of like, I want those people to know Jesus. Um, and if it offends them, okay, keep it moving. Like he literally says, forgive 70 times 70. Like if you think that one encounter is going to like wreck things, keep going, like keep pushing. Um, and so, yeah, that was my just long winded response on that, but realizing how consecrated we are and what consecration means, um, is really important. Definitely. And I think, um, it's just funny like listening to you talk like I think especially introverts who have been called to be disciples of Christ like have that thought of am I going to make someone else uncomfortable by preaching this but then also realizing how much things that are that oppose Christ are pushed in the media and the shows in everything and those people don't question once will this offend a Christian will this make a Christian uncomfortable you know what I mean so I think that that is um so good oh my gosh (laughs) I think that's definitely an issue that I've had before that I still struggle with I, I still struggle with um sharing um just like on the fly you know with with people close to me with people that I love um, with strangers, I think that's a, a thought and I have had to, um, I consistently ask God to increase my, um, boldness in him. But, um, I think it comes back to this idea of love, like is love, love is not just being nice. You know, love is not just make, love is definitely, if, if Jesus just made us comfortable, you know, we would, we would lack salvation because in our comfortability is when we sin and, you know, the wages of sin is death. So I think we've, confuse that word of love to we we take culture's definition and um lukewarm christianity takes culture's definition of love and does that um defines love that way in the name of jesus and you know like being nice to this person uh, maybe they'll see jesus and come to know me but then they're going to come to jesus and think that everything they were doing was okay because we never um you know, like we, we were not set apart in their eyes. So I think um, defining love from a biblical aspect um, is very important, you know, um, not just showing people love, how they need to be felt, but how Jesus, um, yeah. how Jesus did it. So yeah, I think that's absolutely. Yeah. So good. 
Well, as we wrap up, would you just give us some practical tips? I mean, we've talked about such big things and and good things that I know God wants us to be talking about. We've talked about church. We've talked about wealth. We've talked about consecration and, and just biblical knowledge that allows us to know God. What would be, um, whether it's the new believer or someone who's been in the faith for decades, what would be your encouragement um, in really knowing God and also being a disciple and being part of a big collective body? What would be just maybe two or three things that you would encourage us with? Um, definitely reading scripture. If, if Satan has told you the lie that he told me that you are not capable of dissecting scripture that you know you need somebody do it to do it for you know that that is a lie and that the bible itself tells us we need no man to teach us so um to really dive into scripture to ask god to help you understand it to ask god to give you the obedience to open it up even if it's a chapter a day you know two chapters a day um to just make sure that your faith is scripturally based because this is what god left us to know him you know he didn't leave us a man. He didn't leave us um, a building. He left us his holy word. So I think scripture is so important, um, foundational to calling yourself a Christian. And that's, you know, first and foremost, I think prayer um, is big. I think it's the simple things, you know, that that we overlook, that we're looking for some grand, um, some grand answer. But prayer and scripture, I think, is will take us further than any church than any man than any um anything that we can do on ourselves just a reliance on god asking him to um to reveal himself to us and i I just you know that verse one of my favorite verses um when you seek me with your whole heart you shall find me and um i think that that's what it goes down to and we seek him in prayer and in scripture and i think um you know the rest comes and he his voice gets louder and we grow in it. And, um, you know, the other things come later, but that is foundational, no matter where you are in your journey in Christianity. If you're not a Christian yet, if you've been a Christian for 30 years, that is the one thing that both have in common, um, is that we need scripture and we need prayer, um, in order to know God. So I think, you know, so good. That's great. And I think even, you know, going back to (laughs) my sidebar on interruptibility and, and being disruptable, I guess that's probably the better word for it. Like I don't, uh, I'm definitely one of those people where I think, I believe that, you know, even the interruptions of beautiful little boy that we're going to pray loves Jesus, (laughs) like the two of us, you know, it's moments like that, where we get to remember, um, God meets us in so many different ways. And I think it's important. I feel like that's for someone listening um, today, whatever time it is, whatever day it is, whether it was the release date of this episode or not, be disruptible. God is in control and that's not an unsafe thing. It's actually super beautiful and just speaks to his sovereignty and faithfulness because we have such a counterfeit sense of safety and security and it could change at any point but God's consistency and his character doesn't shift. So I want to encourage you before we pray out of God has you, he intricately, it says that he fastens um, the heart individually in the Psalms. And I think that's so beautiful that there's uh, just millions of people who follow Jesus, regardless of where they're at in their faith development and spiritual development and, and commitment to community of God still cares about you individually, that he knows your name. He wrote every single 
one of your days into his story. And that should be a huge source of encouragement is that you're part of the narrative of God of creation. And that's so good. And it requires us to be disruptable for our schedules to change and us not get all mad and uptight about it, but to just really welcome those things. Um, and then the second piece of that is just um, that the word of God is generational that, uh, you know, I pray over Ashley that her little brother would just know Jesus so deeply through her because she is a representative of Christ so well, even in her humility of, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm figuring it out and I'm honoring God in my daily, you know, habits and, and what I'm doing that is all going back to him. You know, we pray over children, um, just that they would see, the most authentic version of Jesus, the most authentic version of God, the father, even if our earthly fathers don't show up how we need them, a pure representation of the Holy spirit and how protected we are. So those two things being disruptable and really knowing um, that God wants us to pass on his great and good works through the generation. So for whoever needed that, I just pray that it blesses you um, because it's lessons that I used to resist, but now it's like, it's so beautiful. How many things we miss when we aren't disruptable, uh, how many opportunities we have to be Jesus, but we missed it because we had to get to point a from point a to point B and couldn't be sidetracked. I think God is just trying to speak those things. And even just praying for our friends, kids, praying for our siblings, praying for those, uh, generations that are coming up against so many schemes of Satan. Um, those things are really important to pray about because I don't know about you listening, but I want just a generation of young people to just adore and be hungry for God. Um, so those would be just my final pieces and encouragement. Ashley's going to pray us out, but again, so grateful to have you on this podcast. Um, and just seeing what God does in one hour. I mean, there's so many things that can happen in a minute, an hour, you know, a day, a week, a year, a decade. Um, time is so beautiful when we give it to God. So I'm going to let Ashley close us out and we'll see you next Friday on the podcast. Thank you, Seth. Thank you for using this platform um, to glorify God. And um, I'll be swiping up on more of your stories and your controversial <laughs> content. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'll go ahead and close this out. Thank you, God, for this time. May um, you speak through me and Steph, though our words are not perfect. We know that you speak mm -hmm. to the hearts better than anybody can. Mm -hmm. um, so may this hour have glorified you. And if it is one sentence, one piece of scripture that sticks, um, that is more than enough, God. Thank you for um, your grace and your mercies for the Holy Spirit that teaches us. Um, may we continue to grow in the things of you, God. May we continue to be pulled out of culture and into spiritual things of you. May we um, continue to get to know you, God, in spirit and in truth. May we cling to the word of Jesus um, mm. during times of trouble, but also during during the good times when, when everything is good and you're just, um, you know, in the background, may we remember that the good and the bad is, for, is from you and that you are sovereign over our lives, God. Um, I just pray that um, this edifies somebody. I pray that somebody seeks you and, um, 
Yeah, God, thank you. I pray uh, for Stephanie and for her boldness to um, talk about things that are not being talked about enough for her boldness um, in starting something new, God, in um, listening to you and in um, being a disciple and being unashamed of your word and of you and just growing her in the spirit and in um, truth and may this be a form of discipleship may anybody who is struggling who does not have a home um feel welcome to reach out to anyone um in this podcast whether it be a stephanie herself or someone um doing one of these videos with her i, I think that we are all um willing to help uh be a friend and a um disciple of you to anybody listening god so i pray uh, these things in jesus name amen in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us, Ashley. Thank you, those of you who listen. We just pray, just like Ashley just prayed, that it would be a blessing, even if it was one word or one sentence. Um, I just pray that you know you would open your heart to receive because God has so much to give. So again, see you guys next week on the podcast. Thanks for joining in.